I've recently discovered a treasure trove of videos on YouTube. Now, I've been watching YouTube for years, but I didn't know that there are like an unlimited number of how-to instructional videos for almost anything you can think of. Just, just in the last week, I watched a video for how to set the timer on my sprinkler system and set it. I watched a video for how to fix a toilet. I watched a video for how to turn off that check engine light on your dashboard. I watched one for how to replace the, the broken rearview mirror on my wife's car. It just walks you through step by step, easy peasy, things that would have seemed so difficult or mysterious. Just watch the video and you know exactly what to do. It reminds me of those books that were popular a few years ago, uh, Idiot's Guide or A Dummy's Guide to just about anything, investing or computer programming. Just read this Idiot's Guide and it'll tell you everything you need to know. Isn't that what we want? Easy answers, uh, clear directions, step-by-step guide. I, don't, don't make me think too much. Don't make me figure this out for myself. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do and make it simple and make it clear and make it plain. Don't we all want things to be a lot easier? But the truth is that life isn't always that easy. Some things, some concepts, some problems, some issues, some solutions are just too complex, too deep, too controversial maybe, too mysterious. I mean, just think about our current world situation. We're facing a, a global pandemic. Uh, we might be in a, an economic crisis, a recession, maybe a depression. We've had protests all across our country, really the world, over the way people of color have been treated in our country and the systemic injustices. And then, of course, we have an upcoming election. Clear answers, easy solutions, quick fixes? Apparently not. I mean, just think of some of the questions we hear people asking. How cautious should we be during this pandemic? Uh, should we pull back some of the reopening that's happened? Should people be wearing masks or are they just, uh, you know, political? Uh, should we be restricting who can come in our state or not? Uh, when is somebody immune? Is somebody who's had the virus immune or are they susceptible to catching it again? Are we currently in a second wave or is that still to come? When will we have a vaccine? Will it be safe? Who should get it first? Or if you think about the protest, you know, the questions about how you fix uh, sy systemic racism and injustice. How do you fix that? Should we be defunding the police or the economy? You know, is this just a, a temporary thing or is this going to be with us longer? We have an election in the fall. H how do we guarantee that there isn't voter suppression or guarantee against voter fraud? Should we be doing mail-in ballots? 
difficult times like these, what, what leaders should we be listening to? Our elected officials? Scientists? Doctors? Scholars? The press? Pastors? Who do we turn to? Where, where do we go to wrestle with the more difficult questions where there aren't easy answers? I know lots of us have opinions, but knowing with certainty, well, that's something different altogether. Wouldn't it be nice for Christians in particular if we could just open our Bibles to the books of second opinions or first hesitations and, and get the, the right answer, the step-by-step guide. Here's your problem. Here's what God says to do about it. Now that was a joke. I, I hope most of you know that there is no book in the Bible called second opinions. There's no book in the Bible called first hesitations. Uh, the truth is, the Bible is not an easy answer book. That's not the way the Bible was written. Some people treat it that way. The Bible instead is a book of stories, ancient stories that describe our God and how God works in this world. And it was intended to be reread and reread and reread in every generation so that we can wrestle with the same ancient questions in a new and modern context. No easy answers. This summer we are now in a, a series, a theme called Connectability. We're talking about how we can connect with God, with each other, and more deeply with ourselves. We're basing it on the great commandment where Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. You will love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Well, last week we talked about how we connect with God with our hearts, our feelings, our emotions. Well, today we're talking about connecting with the mind. How do we love God with our minds? If we went back and read the original Greek of this great commandment, the word for mind is dianoia, dianoia, which, which means our ability to, to think, to process, to understand, to, to comprehend. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus is saying that we don't only love God with our hearts. I mean, that, that's what we associate with love, our hearts. He's saying that part of how we love God is with our dianoia. We love God in the way that we, we think, the way we engage mentally, the way we process, the way we seek understanding and comprehension. Now let's be honest, a lot goes on upstairs. And you and I both know that not every thought is a godly thought. Not every thought is a loving thought. Not every thought is true or wise. The Bible says a lot about this. Proverbs 5, 3 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't rely on your own intelligence. Know him in all your paths, and he will keep your ways straight. Or you might be familiar with Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. 
My plans aren't your plans, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my plans than your plans. In the New Testament, Paul refers to having the mind of Christ, that we don't just rely on the, the brain that uh, is the organ in our heads, but, but there is a deeper understanding. There's a deeper way of thinking that is in alignment with God, the mind of Christ. When we have the mind of Christ, we have godly wisdom, not, not human wisdom alone, but godly wisdom, godly knowledge, godly understanding. And that these aren't something that we just come up with ourselves. It's not something that just happens. That these are gifts of God for those who seek them, who, who strive to align their thinking with God's thinking. An example is Proverbs 2, 6 through 10. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk blamelessly, guarding the paths of justice, preserving the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Today's scripture reading came from 1 Corinthians, uh, which is an interesting passage. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth about the message of the cross. And he said this, in God's wisdom, he determined that the world wouldn't come to know him through its wisdom. Instead, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of preaching. Jews ask for signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we, we preach Christ crucified, which is a scandal to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. This is because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Now, listen to that again. God determined that the world would not come to know him through its wisdom. God determined that the world would not come to know him through its, the world's wisdom. That's a pretty profound statement. Then Paul goes on to say that this message of the cross, that God saved the world through Jesus, the Savior, dying on the cross, well, that was scandalous to the Jews. The idea of it, the message of it is scandalous to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. The message of the cross, scandalous to the Jews. It doesn't fit with their way of thinking. Foolishness to the Greeks, not how they would think about saving the world. Now why, why would it be scandalous? Well, think about it. For the Jews to believe that God would take on human flesh and, and, a, and a poor man, a controversial man like Jesus, and then die a humiliating death? 
That, that's too much. Scandalous. And think about what the Greeks admired. They admired philosophers. People of, of esteem in Greek culture were those who are intellectual. Aristotle, Plato. How could an uneducated teacher from a, from a, a, a little respected place in the faraway nation, Israel, Nazareth, how could somebody like that be the savior of the world? It's foolishness to the Greeks, scandalous to the Jews. But then Paul says, this is because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And let's just think about this for a moment. If, if God put the responsibility of saving the world in your hands or my hands, how many of us would have chosen incarnation? God coming to our world born in a manger. How many of us would have chosen a faraway place, an insignificant people in, a, in an ancient time? How many of us would have chosen the cross to redeem humanity? This is because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. C.S. Lewis once said, reality in fact is usually something you could not have guessed. Let me say that again. Reality in fact is usually something you could not have guessed. That is one of the reasons I believe in Christianity. It is a religion you could not have guessed. It is off, it has Sorry, if it offered us just the kind of universe we had always expected, I should feel we were making it up. But in fact, it is not the sort of thing anyone would have made up. It has just that queer twist about it that real things have. So let us leave behind all these over-simple answers. The problem is not simple. And the answer is not going to be simple either. What I hear in all of these passages, what I hear in this great commandment, is that loving God with our minds is actively seeking the mind of Christ, seeking God's wisdom and knowledge, submitting our way of thinking, our ideas, our human wisdom to God's way of thinking, to ask God to help us think like God thinks. That includes our moral and our ethical decisions. It includes our politics. It includes our value system. It includes our economics and so much more. Let me ask you a question. Where do you think your way of thinking originated? For most of us, the, the way we think started in our families of origin. We, we can't overestimate how much influence our families have had on the way we think. Now, you may choose to think differently, to see the world differently over time, but it begins with what we were taught in our homes. Well, then add on to that your culture. Your, your culture has shaped the way you think. Uh, your education likely has changed, shaped the way you think. 
your, your circle of friends, your acquaintances, the people you work with. They say that we are the sum of the five people we spend the most time with. That means they have an influence on us. Certainly your spouse has an influence on you. Uh, what news you consume, what, what news channel you watch, uh, life experiences teach us or at least influence us. And then hopefully, of course, your faith, your spirituality, your religious experience. But, but I would follow up my first question, where do you think your thoughts and ideas originate, with this question, what influences your current thoughts and opinions the most? What or who influences your thoughts and opinions the most? Now, you're watching a sermon. You're worshiping. Most of us, as people of faith, would like to say, well, God, of course, my, my faith is what shapes my thinking, my decision-making. Well, that's good if it's true, but the truth is, for many of us, most of us, our faith, our, our ideas about God and life are often shaped first by worldly values, philosophies, politics, rather than vice versa. The way it should work is that our faith shapes our values, our philosophy, our politics. But if we're going to be honest, oftentimes we get that turned around. Again, remember the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't rely on your own intelligence. Dallas Willard, who I quoted last week, says, the ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon. He's talking about all the influences that affect, infect the way we think. We have choices about what we allow into our mind that shapes our thinking process. You've probably heard the old expression, garbage in, garbage out. Now, the problem is that, that we don't always recognize garbage for what it is. Sometimes garbage sounds true. Sometimes garbage sounds appealing. Sometimes garbage appeals to our, our baser instincts. That's why it's so important that people of faith are intentional, are, are um, focused on increasing our consumption of good, godly data. Bible study, Sunday school, listening to preaching, reading good Christian books, listening to good Christian podcasts, engaging in good theological conversation. And I need to say, it doesn't just happen. We don't just have a conversion of the mind. It's a process where we continue to learn. We continue to grow. We don't rely on simplistic answers, but we engage the most recent issue, the most recent struggle theologically. What would God say? What would Jesus do in this current moment, in this current situation? Obviously, belief is part of this, and trust, and faith. We talk in the Bible about truth with a capital T. Jesus says the truth will set you free. It means engaging what we consider to be biblical, godly truth with the struggles we have in this life. 
thinking, loving God with our minds is more than just finding and applying easy, simplistic answers. Loving God with our minds means seeking, studying, learning, wrestling with ideas about who God is and what God is calling us to do and to be. In the Old Testament book of Genesis, we're introduced to God's very strange plan of saving the world. It begins with God creating a chosen people. He engages with an older couple named Abraham and Sarah who are too old to have children. They've never had children, but he says, I'm going to make you into a great family, a great nation. I will be your God and you will be my people. It's impossible for them to become parents without God's intervention, but they do. They have a son named Isaac. Isaac marries a woman named Rebecca, and they have two sons, twins, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob then becomes the father of 12 sons who become later the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, one night Jacob is asleep and he is attacked by a, a stranger, a, a, a man in disguise, hidden in the darkness of night. And they wrestle all night long. As day is about to break and, and the, the stranger's identity is about to be revealed, Jacob realizes he's been wrestling with God. And God gives Jacob a new name. He says, no longer will you be called Jacob, you will be called Israel, for you have wrestled with God. That's literally what the word Israel means. You have wrestled with God. And of course, the name of Jacob changed to Israel is the name that has been given to God's people. There is a nation of Israel. The Old Testament is about God's chosen people, the Israelites. And the New Testament says that followers of Jesus are the new Israel. We are the new Israel. We are the new people who wrestle with God. Now what's interesting to me about that is that if you read in the Old Testament and you read about other people groups, oftentimes those groups were named after their patriarchs. So God chose Abraham and Sarah. We could have become the Abrahamites or the Sarahites or the Isaacites or the Jacobites. That's, that's how names were given to tribes, people groups in ancient times. But God says, no, 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 I'm, I'm not going to name you by a human name. I'm going to rename you. God named God's people Israel, Israelites, the new Israelites. Here are my people, my chosen people who have and will wrestle with me. Now, Jacob physically wrestled with God that night, but they wrestled, God and Israel, in many other ways. The descendants of Jacob, Israel, wrestled with God in many ways and continue to do so. You and I may never get into a physical wrestling match with God, but I suspect you've wrestled with God also. 
And I want to suggest this morning that that's what God intends. That God invites us to wrestle with him. Have you ever wrestled with a new or different idea you had never considered? Have you ever wrestled with a problem that you don't know how to solve? Have you ever wrestled with something that you just can't quite understand? Have you ever wrestled with feelings of disappointment, discouragement, depression, betrayal? Have you ever wrestled with a big decision, an important decision? Have you ever wrestled with whether or not God is calling you to take a stand when it will be difficult and maybe costly to do so? I wonder if you've been wrestling lately during this time of disconnection. I wonder if you've been wrestling at all lately in this this time when the world seems so out of whack. I wonder if you've been wrestling with things that you're reading or watching on TV social media. I wonder if you've wrestled at all with some of the the feelings we talked about last week. I want to suggest today is, is that the wrestling, if we do it right, is how we connect with God. It's how we love God with our minds. The question isn't, will we wrestle in this life? The question is, who or what are you wrestling with? I think God is saying, come connect with me. Come come engage your mind with me. Come and wrestle with me. As you've wrestled lately, have you been seeking answers using worldly wisdom or godly wisdom? God invites us to, to, to seek to understand, to know as he gives us godly understanding, knowledge, and wisdom, but it's an intentional process that we are called to engage. So each week of this series, we're going to suggest a different ability, ways that we can be intentional about connecting. So last week, I talked about ways you can connect with your feelings through connecting, loving God with your heart. Today, I want to suggest a way that you can connect with the mind, and it's a pretty simple one. Uh, Hopefully you have your connectability booklet that we mailed out to you. You'll notice in the back of that booklet, there is a a list there of suggested summer readings, six books that I picked that relate to several of the messages that I'll be offering this summer. So today's uh, ability suggestion uh, is go pick one of those books and, and, and order it. Download it to your Kindle, have a book sent to you, and use this summer, the series, to read that book. But don't just, don't just read it, don't just speed your way through it. Process it. Think about it. Think of ways to apply it. Maybe intentionally engage someone in conversation about it. Use it as a way to love God with your mind.